the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock-knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else! Oh! oh my god, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip Podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. Good, how you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man, what's going on? We ready to go or what? This is a uh, special visitor to hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time, and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't beat me. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that, and every kid, I, they knew they could kick the shit out of me. At this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute, you weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two man power trip of wrestling. Let's get it going right here, right now. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to the flagship TMPT interview podcast. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and every single week, I'm joined here by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz, the interview extraordinaire, as we like to call him, inside the TMPT empire. And this week, sitting down with a first-time guest, a guy who's wrestled in a lot of places and done a lot of really cool stuff that we're going to talk about. Um, I could pick a name. He's got many. He's gone by many. You know him as Kid Cash, but I would be remiss if I didn't call him David, Tyler, Morton, Jericho, Cash, something. We'll get the kid a name eventually if you remember his days in the early uh, stages of his ECW run. But uh, Kid Cash, 
joining us today, a guy who uh, for so many years was putting on some of the most underrated matches on any show that you could find him on, whether he was in TNA, ECW, or WWE. He's been in a lot of great matches. He's had a lot of great partners. He's been all over the world. He's even done a little uh, little fighting there on the side, and we're going to get into it today. But, John, uh, talk about this interview here with Kid Cash, a guy who I know this is a pretty lengthy chat that you guys got to have, but a uh, guy who uh, fits in with us very well but has really done a lot since uh, breaking in uh, almost, uh, what, 35 years ago, something like that. He has been wrestling for a very, very long time. 1989. Yeah, close enough. He broke in. Crazy to think about that. I mean, whew, long, long time, but still just a great athlete and in great, great. Great, phenomenal shape. Awesome to finally get him on. You would think we would have had him on sooner, but it was awesome to get him on and for as long as we had him on for. So just really cool. I just love how we can get him on and not only talk about like the obvious stuff like ECW, but we get some great WCW and WWE stories as well. And then some interesting little tidbits on his run with TNA, which is kind of a great underrated run where he was having good matches with so many guys including, if people don't remember this, Dusty Rhodes and Ricky Morton. So, I mean, and even throw out there Zabisco and having an altercation with Piper. We did a lot of cool, good stuff in TNA, kind of went under the radar, but I liked hearing the the behind-the-scenes stuff about his run in TNA as well. Yeah, I mean, he was really, uh, like like I said before, he was an underrated part of those early TNA days. And those early TNA days, if you're a fan today, you're going to see a lot of names you know, but those guys that were getting that second shot to go back into a major company uh and as tna was growing uh, he was really involved in a lot of stuff and i know you're such a big fan of those uh asylum days at tna i mean really if it wasn't for a guy like kid cash i don't think they would have been able to really grow some of the the up-and-coming stars that we got to know and love through tna if it wasn't for a guy like kid cash think about back in that era you need established guys for these young guys to feud with AJ Styles, for instance, Amazing Red, guys like that. And I'm specifically thinking about AJ, but I mean, really, you, you need like names to feud with. You can't just kind of, and I know that, that people think you can because they do it today, but it's very unsuccessful. You can't just have these guys go out there and just have these matches and just be cold and there's no stakes and there's no storyline and there's no real story to it. Him and AJ had a great feud. You know, the young guy coming up, the veteran trying to take his spot. Great stuff. And I just really, really enjoyed that feud. And he did so much good for those guys in the X Division. Really kind of kept the X Division on the map. Obviously, when it first started, it was very, very hot. But you needed those key guys. Great heel. Great guy who can get the crowd into it. And you needed those guys for the X Division. So, you know, amazing red. I mentioned, obviously, mentioned AJ. There's so many guys that he... Sonny Siaki, remember him? I mean, there's these young guys that had something. They were great wrestlers, but they needed that push from an elevated star, and he definitely helped get them to where they needed to get. And I also liked his tag team run with Dallas, a.k.a. Lance Hoyt, who everyone knows now is one of the hottest free agents in the game. Yeah, and that was also at a stage, too, where uh, Lance Hoyt needed to get something that was going to stick, and he had gone through a couple different name changes, a couple different looks, but I think his run with Cash might have been one of the uh, like the best things that they had had set up for him at that time, and, you know, we're talking about TNA, but we're not even going into, you know, what he did in ECW, and really, you know, uh, uh, in there for the good part of, like, the last five to six years of the company, 
and seeing a lot of stuff going on, you know, starting off in, in lower card matches and then working his way into the actual show and actually being a part of storylines and having a good role. You know, again, ECW, those later years of the company, we don't tend to glorify them as much as those 94, 95, and 1096. But if you look at 1996, he was there. <laughs> he got yeah, to see yeah. a lot of stuff go down. I feel like people forget that, that he was there at that point. And I feel like it's kind of one of those forgotten things because he got injured and was gone for a while, but comes back and was able to have a great run, obviously really great run, wins the ECW television title, which we talked about in the interview. is kind of like when the WWE Intercontinental Championship was so hot or like the WCW US title when that was hot whoever that champ was, was always the most respected guy. And I feel like he kept that kind of tradition going in ECW when he won the television title, because, you know, it, it, it was, you know, their secondary title, so to speak, but they had it elevated and made event at a lot of shows. And it really was as important as the world title a lot of times. And he does beat Rhino, who they obviously gave a huge, huge push. They, you know, for the uh, television title. So, Rhino would then become world champ. So it's one of those things. It's like, wow, that's a pretty big uh, shoes to fill. A guy that they're going to give a huge push to. Who's going to beat him for the title? Kid Cash. So very, very cool stuff. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, he made his mark for sure. You know, he made his way into the WWE after the TNA run. Went back to TNA even after that. And, I mean, quietly puts in this really long career with a lot of big highlights. You know, in WWE, they fast-tracked him. He won the Cruiserweight Championship. Then he was involved with uh, Jamie Noble and the Pitbulls. And I'm sure you guys will get into that. But I know this is something you definitely uh, focused in on. And it was his time in mixed martial arts. And he didn't have a lot of fights. But still, it was pretty publicized when he decided to uh, to step in and uh, get a couple fights under his belt. So what did uh, what did Cash have to say about that time in the uh, the world of MMA? Yeah, so really only two fights, and it's kind of one of those things where it's he was training maybe more than he actually would end up fighting, but he knew the background. You know what I mean? He, he was a very tough guy. He knew how to fight. could definitely take care of himself. And it's kind of one of those things that's like, yeah, I want to get out there and test myself, You know, see how I am in, in a legitimate fight. But, man, he did have a lot of great MMA training, and it's one of those guys – you look at him, and you may, maybe not the biggest guy, but he might be one of the toughest guys. And I like those. I love those guys. Legitimate, like tough guy, shooter guy that you don't expect it from, but you try him in the ring, and he'll definitely kick your ass. I just thought that was cool, kind of little little tidbit to throw in there that uh, he had some MMA training and obviously a few MMA fights as well. Yeah, very cool. And it's like uh, you can see, you know, how he, he evolved over the years. He got jacked. I mean, he was mm -hmm. he yeah. was huge. Yep. Uh, so it's really cool to see that he's able to kind of translate all that hard work and get into the octagon and uh, and do his thing because he was great in the wrestling ring. So, uh, hey, it's worth a try. I mean, I never could do it. <laughs> you could never do it. But there's a lot of guys with that discipline, and it's cool to see that Cash is one of them. And uh, before we get into the interview, just give us uh, give us some keys to the game to uh, to listen for. Maybe something uh, kind of raise your eyebrow uh, going into this interview with Kid Cash. Really, when we started talking about TNA of all things, I kind of wanted to get his grasp of his time there because it felt like he was in a good position. Maybe behind the scenes were a little bit different, but it felt like. On the front of the screen, you know, X-Division champion, two-time NWA World Tag Team champion, 
feuds with AJ Styles, always on TV or pay-per-view at that point, and just always kind of was important to the show, was always book strong, was always being played up as a great heel, which he was. So it was interesting to know all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes and his heat with Jeff Jarrett. They absolutely hated each other. That was interesting to hear. I did not know that, but yet had a good relationship with Jerry Jarrett. So I love hearing the story about him trying to get released, trying to get released and stiffing guys in the ring on mm-hmm. purpose and just doing everything he can, shitting on promo, shitting on creative, doing everything he can to get released and Jeff Jarrett, who hated him for whatever reason, just wouldn't release him because he just didn't want to release him. And all of a sudden, you know, eventually way down the road, he ends up getting his release. But I just thought that was so interesting. And I didn't even know about it, really. I mean, I, I kind of just assumed that he had a good relationship with Jeff, but just an absolutely horrible relationship with Jeff Jarrett. But you will get into it in the interview. You're really going to enjoy that part. It's just so interesting to learn the backstage going on to the backstage happenings at TNA at that point. You forget what Jeff Jarrett was to pro wrestling in that era. And, and a lot of people had a lot of parallels to Triple H during that time. Yes. But I think yeah, people tri- forget. Triple J. Triple yeah, because he really turned the corner. And uh, I think he changed the way a lot of people viewed him uh, really over the last 10 years for sure. But, um, yeah, a lot of people forget that uh, Jeff Jarrett and TNA was really – that was a, that, that, I remember how publicized that was. That was a big mm-hmm. deal. So, all right, well, let's wrap it up here at this point. Let's get it on over to this interview, but before we do, just make sure you head on over to tmptempire.com. Check out all the links to all the podcasts and all the stuff going on. We had our big five-year anniversary on our last flagship episode uh, with the one-man gang. Just an awesome response. Uh, the fans who responded to the uh, the stuff that was out there, uh, you can't deny a, a classic WWF character like that. So if you love the old school WWF cartoon era, go check out the one man gang five year anniversary uh, episode. It was awesome. That, that, that's quite frankly, we could say it was very, very awesome. So check that out. And uh, the rest of the pages to JJ Dillon, Dr. Tom, the franchise, Francine, and of course the flagship show, everything's on tmptempire.com. So uh, let's wrap it up here. Nice. Let's hit you with a little bit of two man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over. to Kid Cash. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Raslin Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Mike, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk. Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shank Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio. Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. And now, with 
without any further ado, he is a former TNA X Division champion, a former two-time NWA World Tag Team champion, a former ECW World Television champion, and a former WWE Cruiserweight champion. He is Kid Please enjoy. industry though a lot of people didn't even know that uh you know whenever oh, no. i was, yeah, yeah when i wasn't on the road wrestling uh or on tv or anything like that uh whenever i was home uh, i would get right off the airplane and 
go straight to bed and uh, I'd be up the next day. I worked for the union for probably about, I think it was like 28 years. And um, yeah, so whenever I wasn't wrestling, I was uh, working, doing carpentry, welding and all kinds of stuff with the union. And those are not fun hours. I know that for a fact. They're not uh, not great. Yeah. Uh, well, I would wrestle, you know, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, and I would work Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, twelve-hour days. Wow. And uh, yeah, I'd get off from work, and then I'd be right on an airplane first thing in the you know five o'clock in the morning on Friday, and, <clears throat> and then we wrestle uh, Sunday. And then the companies I worked for, you know, were pretty cool and would fly me right out. You know, as soon as my match was over with, I could head straight to the airport and uh, wouldn't have to hang out or anything like that. I could just go straight home, you know, uh, go to work the next day. <laughs> yeah. What was I, that like? Know, then, I, I was, I, it was hard, you know. Uh, you know, did some school, too, while I was at it, you know, some college and stuff like that. And that's how I got, you know, to the project manager status, years in the field and, you know, got an associate's degree in business uh, management and stuff like that, so. Uh, put that on the resume, and things just started changing with the occupational. But I knew wrestling was, you know, going to end eventually. You know, you can't do that stuff forever, you know. And uh, uh, between wrestling and MMA and, you know, those kind of things overall, you know, the majority of my life, you know, my body wearing down a little bit here and there over the years, you know. So, uh, you know, being in the dressing room, you know, with uh, people like Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, that's who trained me. Uh, got me into business and stuff like that. But just being in the dressing room with those guys in the early days with all the other names and, you know, veterans and former stars, and you see, you know, how the time took a toll on them, you know, moving around real slow and, you know, just going from being an active wrestler to a, just a guy that gets out there and, you know, just has a match, you know. And uh, I knew it was going to end, and I never wanted to be that guy that – uh felt like I had to hold on to it and hang on to it, you know, to feel relevant, you know, or try to make money or, you know, look for that one last run or anything like that, you know. So I just kind of took the initiative and, you know, prepared for my future, <laughs> you know, after wrestling. And it's funny you mentioned you know, Ricky and Robert still wrestling today, a part of, you know, NWA and AEW. <clears throat> you still see him wrestling. Isn't that crazy? Uh, it is crazy. Uh, I'm, I'm, tickled to death to see it. Uh, I believe they uh, won the NWA tag team titles again, didn't they? Yes. I, th- I think it's the ninth time they won it, but yeah, they did. Yeah. I yep. mean, you know, I mean, I feel I've been seeing some clips too. Uh, you know, of course, I talked to Ricky, you know, often on the phone and stuff, and you know, but lately he's been in and out, you know, on the run all the time and stuff, but I saw a couple of clips of him doing the uh, Canadian Destroyer, like five or six different shows. <laughs> Crazy. Just, but yeah, it just blew me away. I mean, you know, uh, all those years when he was training me, he was always, you know, jumping my ass, you know, about doing all that high-flying stuff. You don't need to do that, you know, that, you know, you can just wrestle, you know, you don't, you know, you can sell and you can, you know, work. You don't have to get out there and do all of that crazy stuff. You know, back then I was like, oh, you just, you know, you don't understand because you can't do it. You know, now I'm 49, 50 years old and he is, uh, what, 60, 62 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yep. You know, pulling out Canadian destroyers. (laughs) I mean, it just blows me away, 
you know. I mean, God love him, and I just, uh, you know, hope he doesn't get hurt, you know, but I hope, you know, he takes it as far as, you know, he feels he wants to take it, you know. It is crazy. And that's funny that through your training and, and coming up with him that he tells you, oh, take it slow, selling, and, and all, you know, all the stuff that the vets <laughs> tell the younger guys. And then he yeah. just goes out there and does Canadian Destroyer, still wrestling at 62, still, still uh, you know, running through the ropes, taking uh, crazy dives. So, yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of ironic. I seen him do a Harakarana. Uh, too, I think it was at the Briscoes uh, in a Ring of Honor show in New York. Yep. I, I just, you know, I don't know what's gotten into him. Uh, maybe he's going, uh, I don't know. I guess his midlife crisis was a long time ago. <laughs> but I don't know what he's going through now, but I'm I'm just, I'm happy for him. You know, I mean, uh, he seems like and looks like he's having a ball, you know. And, you know, so ever since, uh, I guess, the Hall of Fame, things kind of turned around for, you know, him and Robert, you know, and they're back out there again, you know. I'd really love to see him do a little bit more, to be honest with you. Got to love Rock and Roll Express, one of the greatest all-time teams. What was it like training under him, under him, not as far as what he's telling you and stuff, but just you as far as were you a fan, where you're like, oh, my God, Ricky Morton is one of my trainers? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I grew up on uh, – I'm, I'm from Central Virginia, and uh, we didn't get uh, WWE or any of the other companies. Uh, we mainly got NWA uh, because it was from out of Charlotte, you know, and stuff. And uh, back way, way back in the day. And from time to time, we would get continental wrestling and, you know, stuff like that. But we didn't get too much other stuff other than that. You know, we didn't even get WWE till uh, I think it was probably 1988. Never WWE really came into our house, you know, and that was on pay-per-view, you know, so, uh, and I believe it was a WrestleMania or something like that that we watched, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up watching Ricky and Robert, uh, and then, you know, getting into the business and stuff like that, uh, through the MMA world and stuff like that, that's how I met him, you know, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it just kind of was surreal for quite a few years, (laughs) you know, even I think it was like three or four years later, we'd be riding in the same car and I'd just kind of like look over from time to time and just look at him and I'm like, this son of a bitch trained me, <laughs> you know, you know, he's like, like a father to me now, you know, and uh, I just love the man to death. Such an absolute legend in the business. So when you're getting a training from him and you're kind of moving along through the ranks and obviously going through the independent scenes and things like that, that make it easier like hey i'm one of his students and you know he can kind of get you in a little bit quicker than maybe somebody else well no honestly it did kind of it worked against me uh oh wow wow yeah it it really did um now today's times you can do that you know you can you know kind of ride off of somebody's name and um you know even back in the day you know he would tell me he's like yeah tell tell him i trained you you know and tell him you know you're my boy and stuff like that and and that whenever I did, uh, you know, I would get a lot of tryouts early in my career. You know, I got tryouts with WWE quite a few times and WCW and everybody really liked me and stuff like that. But it seemed like once I mentioned the fact that Ricky was my trainer and, you know, and I was his boy and stuff like that, it was like they thought that I was trying to use his name, you know. And, uh, you know, they kind of ignored me for a little bit there until, you know, the ECW thing really came about. Uh, Paul Heyman, you know, loved Ricky more to death, and he didn't really care one way or the other who trained me. He just wanted me 
uh, and what I had to offer the DCW. He just that's what he wanted. You know, everybody else seemed to, you know, Kevin Sullivan and those guys back in the day. You know, when they were the bookers of WCW, and uh, it was a Jim Ross and those guys way way back in the day. WWE, you know, whenever you would have conversations with them and you would bring that up, uh, and and being told to bring it up, you know, by Ricky, and then they just kind of took offense to it. It seemed like back then, but nowadays it happens all the time. <laughs> so, oh yeah, yeah. So Heyman, yeah. so Heyman sees tapes of you. He knows you're trained by Ricky Morton. He immediately wants to bring you in. He sees you and he likes you. Oh, he loved it. Yeah. Um, it's not that he saw any tapes of me. He, uh, Rob Van Dam and I uh, met years and years ago. I mean, I'm, we're talking like 25 years ago. Um, in North Carolina, I was showed up, uh, I think it was Winston Salem, and uh, he used to run around with a guy named Greg Price and do, you know, do a lot of his shows whenever he wasn't in Japan and stuff like that or in ECW. Um, and we just kept hit it off. You know, uh, we met for the first time and we just became friends immediately. And shortly after that, you know, he, he uh, called me up uh, one night and uh, I think I just I just gotten home from a show, believe it or not. And uh, it was late. It was probably, you know, 12 o'clock at night, you know, and uh, he called me up and he was like, hey, I talked to Paul Heyman. And uh, I was like. Did Polly dangerously? And he was like, yeah, yeah. He goes, I work for him. And I was like, I was like why don't you know him? And he's like, well, yeah, I work for him. <laughs> I was like, all right. And uh, he was like, I told him all about you. And uh, I told him that you were, you know, amazing high flyer. And, you know, you can actually wrestle too. You know, you've you know, got an old school style to you, but you combine it with, the, you know, the high flying. And he goes and uh, told him that Ricky trained you and stuff like that, you know. And um, he was like, very impressed and he, he wanted to meet you and i was like oh, okay great i was like when you know when would that be possible and uh he was like well he goes we're in philadelphia tomorrow night <laughs> I'm like, <Wow>. okay <laughs> and this is friday night at midnight yeah you know what i'm saying and uh and uh what really impressed paul is that i at the drop of a dime um i literally got off the phone with rob and uh packed up some clothes got in the car and i drove to philadelphia all night long. I uh, got to Philadelphia about 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, met up with Rob at breakfast, kind of took a nap in his hotel room and went to the show the very, you know, soon as, you know, that evening. Uh, walked in the door and Rob introduced me. And uh, I was, my name was David Jericho back then. And uh, that was when I started my career as David Jericho. And um, walked up to him, I stuck my hand out and he goes, David Jericho, how are you? I was like, well, well, hello, how are you? <laughs> you know, he goes, how's Ricky Morton? And I was like, he's Ricky. And he goes, that's, that's what I thought. You know, we just kind of chatted for a minute. And he's like, uh, got your gear? I was like, I do. And he goes, good, you're only 30 minutes. And I had a three-way tag. And uh, we had a really good, tore the house down. I came through the back and uh, shook his hand, thanked him for it. He goes, you're not going home, are you? I was like, uh, well, that depends on you. He goes, well, he goes, uh, we're in uh, Manhattan tomorrow. No, we're in uh, Staten Island, Staten Island tomorrow. Uh, and that was in 90, 1995, and I wrestled with that company up until the late 96. And I uh, broke my leg on an indie show real bad. 
and I had to have knee replacement and all that stuff. And so I was out of action for close over a little over a year, maybe. And uh, as soon as I healed up and uh, I gave Rob a call and told him, you know, that was good. And uh, they had started traveling around a little bit, you know, down south. And they were going to be in South Carolina. I lived in Tennessee. And uh, he said, tell Cash to show up. And uh, so I did. And I wrestled uh, that night. <laughs> I just showed up with my gear. And, uh, he shook my hand again, gave me a hug, and asked me how I was doing. I was like, great. He goes, got your gear? And I was like, yes, I do. He goes, good. He goes, you're on tonight. And I went from there till the time they closed. So that's basically you return in around 99, and then you know, obviously there until 01. Yeah. It is, yeah. Cra- uh, it, it is crazy that people probably forget that you're there in 95, 96. They really probably remember your run from 99 to the end, right, more often? Yeah, well, a lot of the the the, the more uh, older school people remember me because of the the name that they gave me. Um, David first I, Tyler Morton Jericho, whoever yeah. it was, is like five names. <laughs> the first night I was David Jericho, and uh, the second night they called me Davy Morton. Uh, the third night uh, they called me. They said, "Come up with another name," you know. And I was we were just throwing names around and. Uh, the word, the name Tyler came up. So we called myself, called me David Tyler and, um, uh, Sandman's, um, son was part of the show at that time, him and his, him and, uh, Sandman's wife as well. And, um, so they didn't want to use Tyler, but they used it for one night. So, so for three nights, I was David Jericho. One night I was Davey Morton. And the next night I was, uh, Davey Tyler. Uh, went home, came back the following week, and I, we didn't even really discuss it. Uh, they, I had a tag team match with Nova, and uh, we went out to the ring, and when they announced me, they says, Davey Morton Tyler Jericho. <laughs> so, that was great. Yeah, and uh, so I did that for like a year, and then, like I said, I broke my leg and uh, had to take a year off. And then you return as Kid Cash. Where did that gimmick and the name come from? Obviously, it's got to be Kid Rock because you look like him, right? Um, yeah, well, sort of. And uh, well, I, I came back again as David Jericho. Uh, okay. I did that for uh, probably about six, well, four to four to six months. And we were in Poughkeepsie, New York, and uh, we were at a ice skating rink and uh, getting ready to, you know. We all just got there, and we're all kind of just chilling, talking, hanging out. Tommy Dreamer comes from the back, and he walks right in between us all, and he's saying hello to everybody. And he goes, hello, Davey Martin, Tyler Jericho. And I was like, how are I was like, hey, Tommy Dreamer. And he walked by me, and then he stops, and he turns around, and he goes, oh, you're no longer Davey Jericho. I was like, I'm not. And he goes, no. He goes, you are now Kid Cash. And I was hmm. like, okay. And he goes, do you know who Kid Rock is? And I was like, and at the time I did, you know, I didn't listen to rap music or anything like that. You know, I was, I've always been more of a heavy metal head, you know, kind of guy. And um, so he says, look up Kid Rock, try to get the look and try to uh, get you some new, you know, gear. So you know, everybody all at once was like really happy for me and stuff like that because it, to show that they were going to make me a mainstay. You know, they're going to make me one of their characters. 
And uh, so everybody, you know, Nova and Chetty and Van Dam and Jason Knight, you know, PJ and all those guys were, you know, pulling up music for me. And we, we came up with Ba with the Ba, you know, to come out and stuff and come out with the hat and the, the, the baggy pants and the boxer shorts popped out of the top of them, you know. So I did that in within one week, too. And uh, it just... He just loved me for that. You know, he was like, anything I ask you to do, you jump right on it and you don't waste any time. He goes, I love it. And and from that moment on, he, he did nothing but push me. You know, we started slow, you know, tag teaming with Nova, and, uh, with Chetty and Doreen and Roadkill and guys like that, you know, and then it moved up to singles matches, you know, with, you know, uh, uh, got PJ, uh, J- Jerry Lynn, Rhino, and all these other people uh, tag team with Rob a lot. And then just one night, uh, we were in New York, Hammerstein doing a pay-per-view. And right before the show, we were having our little meeting, and he announced that I was going to be winning the, the TV title. You know, and that was probably right at about a year being back in the company, you know. Very, very cool. I mean, that means obviously they give you a title, they give you a championship, they have some faith in you, and they really like you, and the way you want it to, and in an important building like that, and in an important town, and an important state like yeah, that. Yeah, well, right? you know, I mean, the way it was done, it mm-hmm. really, you know, he. I think they took a lot of time, you know, to try to get me over, you know, uh, slowly. And then the the night that they put it on me, you know, they involved, uh, of course, I beat Rhino, but they also involved Rob Van Dam and Sandman and, you know, and, you know, two of the other utmost top guys in the company, you know, and that just kind of, you know, rubbed, gave me the rub, you know, and uh, made the fans realize that I hang out with, you know, these guys and these are my friends and the company is, going to keep me in, you know, because the ECW fans were a whole lot more different than the rest of the fans. Um, they were a whole lot more smarter, you know, than what WCW and WWE fans were. Um, so they picked up on that, you know, and then I just, I remember after that show, you know, I'm out to eat, you know, and they're in New York, me and Rob and uh, a couple of the other guys and, uh, you know, the fans were making their way to where we were at and you know, they were just talking to me like I'd been there for 20 years, <laughs> you know. And, I mean, those fans could tell was, was telling me my entire career, you know, while they were standing there talking to me, you know. And I would be like, how in the hell would you even know my name? You know, I'm from, you know, Virginia and Tennessee. This is New York, you know. I mean, how would you have even known my name? Uh, but, the, you know, these guys were like internet, you know, marks, and they read the sheets. Well, back then the sheets were big, you know and the magazines and stuff. So, you know, my name was always popping up somewhere, you know, plus the, you know, running with Ricky Morton and stuff like that, you know, word got out, you know, and kind of floated around the wrestling business and stuff. And generally wherever I went in any dressing room, there was always somebody there that knew, knew me because of that. You know, uh, I even went to WWE a number of times at WCW, you know, just doing dark matches and stuff like that. And I mean, all the the horror stories you would hear about the you know the new guys coming in there and how people would treat them and stuff. Nobody ever treated me bad because people knew who I was. 
So when I walked into a dressing room, I mean, you know, one of the top stars, you know, Sting walked up to me one night and he goes, "Hey, you're the you're David Jericho, aren't you?" And I was like, "Hey," and he goes, "How's Ricky Morton?" <laughs> you know, very and, cool. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I mean, so everybody already knew who I was WWE. You know, Jake the Snake Roberts. You know, way way back in the day, you know, stopped me in the hallway one night. You know, and he was like, he goes, uh, "Ricky Morton trained you, didn't he?" You know, yes, sir, he sure did. You know, and so I'm like, yeah, I saw you match tonight, man. You're, you 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 wrestle like him. I can tell. It shows. Tell him I said hello. You know, and I'm like, okay, great. You know, I mean, these are guys that didn't even have to give me the time of day. You know, if they didn't want to, but you know, they were pulling me over in the hallways. You know, you know, just saying, just to say hello. You know, which was really cool. And they never, nobody ever treated me disrespectfully. Nobody ever peed in my bag or made me dress in the hallway or anything like that. You know, everybody always welcomed me into the dressing room. You know, uh, when I went to WWE and actually signed with them. You know, walked in the dressing room the first night and Mark uh, Undertaker uh, was like. Kid Cash, uh, what, what did he say? Is it Kid Cash? Oh, it's about time you got here. You know, nice, nice. Yeah, wow. you know, stuff like that. You know, and I never got in. Then, but yet I would see other new guys come in, and they would just completely rip them apart. Hmm. You know, so I felt real blessed and lucky about it. You know, you know, my upbringing in the business and stuff like that. You know, so it made me really proud of it. Yeah, a lot of respect there too. Very, very cool. They they all kind of gave you a, a, a lot of respect. Yeah, I thought so. Now ECW, obviously, you know, you win the TV title, you lose the TV title. They're on TV for a little bit. They're on TNN. You're all getting some world title opportunities at Mike Awesome at the time. Did you think bigger things? Did you think bigger push, or did you didn't even care or whatever? You were happy with where you were. Um, the one thing about me is I've always been a realist. I always knew that I'm a cruiserweight, you know, I'm legitimately 175 pounds soaking wet, you know, um, a lot of people think I weigh more because of my build and stuff like that, but you know, I'm, I'm not, my stature is not huge, you know, not like some of those guys. So I always, I've never really had it in my mind that anybody was ever going to put a world heavyweight title on me, you know, I'll, I always looked at myself as either a cruiserweight or, you know, at, at the most, probably a United States champion or something like that, you know. But, um, yeah, I never really came in with those kind of thoughts, you know, of grandeur of that. I was just really content and happy knowing that I was making an, an absolute living, you know. I didn't even have to go home and work for the union if I didn't want to because I was under contract with these guys and they were paying me well and treating me well, you know. I just did that because I knew that there was going to be an end to all this one day, you know, and I didn't want to be stuck with figuring out what I was going to do next, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I never had those thoughts. And, I mean, when he put the TV title on me, you know, I was, like, you know, very, you know, humble to it, really, because I was like, wow, you know. I mean, it's not the world heavyweight title, but to me it was. <laughs> you know, it was I was the world champion. You know, I think says world TV champion. We'll take the TV out of it. In my mind, I was the world champion. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And RVD had pumped up that title so much and raised the yeah. prestige of it. A lot of people actually considered that at at one point in time actually elevated higher than the world title just because he did so much with that belt. Well, that, I mean, when we were there, 
I know that there was a lot of comparison. You know, the the popularity of that title was was that of the Intercontinental title. Yeah. Yep. And the for WWE, sure. You know, and or the United States title. You know, in the WCW. So when I want when when they put that belt on me, I mean, like I said, I mean, to me and my heart, I was the world champion. You know, I mean, and. uh it, it it was cool for me because I felt like I kind of defied the odds a little bit, you know, a cruiserweight, you know, stepping up and being, you know, uh, holding the title that, you know, usually a heavyweight would wear. Right. Were you at all surprised in 2001 when ECW closes down and closes doors? You know, the dying days of ECW, did you see any of that coming? Were you surprised at all by it? A lot of the guys seemed like they were shocked, and then you see the other guys, ah, I'm not surprised at all. I wasn't really surprised. Uh, I mean, one thing about ECW, it was a very open-door dressing room. I mean, every you heard all kinds of, you know, stories before they happened you know um I, I we had heard it a few times before but we were still running shows we were still doing tv but then slowly but surely we started losing things you know what i'm saying like we lost the tv um then we lost i think some some backing and stuff like that um you know and i remember paul was god i, I felt you know so bad for him because he was he was busting his ass i mean he was going out to california every single week missing shows and stuff like that tommy dreamer was running the shows and stuff because paul was out in california and new york trying to get tv deals and uh he was really really trying hard and you know i don't to me if anybody says he wasn't trying hard he was thinking of himself i just have to disagree you know because i saw the stress in the man's face you know from when I first met him until the end of ECW, you know. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, he did something that a lot of people said that he couldn't do, you know. He took, well, it was a good 10-year run for the ECW, you know. And they made it to TV, and you, you, you can't disagree with me. I mean, at that time, ECW had been surpassed WCW. And we were basically considered the second company instead of the third company. You know, uh, we were beating, even though we had a one hour show inside that one hour, we were beating the ratings of WCW in, in their first hour because we ran on the same nights. And, um, you know, we, of course we didn't have a second hour. So of course they took, you know, they, they did do better by numbers because they had a two hour show, but, you know, inside their first hour compared to our our only hour, we killed them in ratings. You know, so the only challenger we had at that time technically was WWE. And if you looked at our product, it was grainy as hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the production was like, uh, so, you know, at, you know, pretty much none. Um, no real lighting and stuff like that, you know. Uh, we didn't have a, um, an amazing, you know, uh, fireworks display or anything like that, you know, for any of the name, you know, the names of the talent coming to the ring. Um, we were just a basic company, but yet we had so much less than what the other companies did, but we had so much more than they had too, you know. And it's interesting that you said you still coming because a lot of guys 
didn't see it coming, or they thought Paul was doing something in Hollywood, or you know, getting the rollerball thing, or maybe getting something with Vince, you know, with Vince McMahon getting this WWE well, deal. So it's interesting. All the guys have their own opinion on you know what really went down. Well, I mean, as far as the rollerball, everybody made a big deal about the rollerball thing. Um, I mean, there was a couple of the other wrestlers that were in the rollerball thing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it wasn't yeah, yep. it wasn't just him. You know, um, so I mean. He was just making some money. I mean, who would if somebody's going to offer you, you know, a part in a movie and going to pay you well for it? I mean, why would you not take it? You know, right? Yep. So I would. Uh, I knew something was very much up. Uh, of course, when I saw him come out in the WWE, uh, and then the very next week they canceled our shows, and then the next week after that, I got the call that they still ran the show. I believe it was in Arkansas or Missouri. They still ran the shows, but they didn't take any names with them. You know, they, they even called me up and told me to just take the week off. Uh, and uh, pretty much everybody uh, that was on that show was what we would consider mid-card, you know, guys, you know. And uh, so I, I kind of was seeing the writing on the wall then. And you end up, after that, Briefly, very, very briefly, before WCW ends its doors and closes doors, wrestling Jason Jett on WCW. Did you actually think that maybe WCW was going to last, or, or was that one of the things where, like, I kind of saw they were headed uh, out the door as well? I had no idea about that one. Um, I got the call from John Laurinaitis. Uh, it, it took six months uh, to go to work for those guys. Uh, they, we had talked for a good six months, uh, John Laurinaitis, uh, Kevin Sullivan, and a, and a bunch of other guys, even Eric Bischoff, uh, talked to everybody on the phone, uh, discussed, you know, what plans they had and all that stuff discussed even, you know, you know, stipulations of contract and stuff. But the only problem was I, I was still under contract with ECW. And so it took me a good six months to pretty much get a hold of Paul. <laughs> uh, we I called and called and emailed and stuff, but he was, I don't, you know, he was just so busy doing things and he probably, you know, checked his email every day and it was probably overflowing, you know, from not only me, but from other people too, you know. Mm-hmm. But finally, I called Tommy Dreamer and I said, look, you know, I want to go to work. <laughs> and he's like, you can. And I was like, no, I'm, still under contract and, you know, WCW wants, you know, a hard copy release. And, um, he says, but the, you know, ECW is no more. And I was like, they still want a hard copy release. So thank goodness he got a contact with Paul. Paul called me up and we talked about it. And, um, you know, I was in the contract. So he was like, you know, I still owe you money. And I was like, look, don't worry about it. I just want to go to work, you know? And he goes, are you willing to sign over, you know, sign off on what, you know, is owed to you? And I was like, absolutely. And he sent me a form from his lawyer. I signed it. I sent it back. And then he sent me the, you know, a hard copy release. I called uh, John Laurinaitis and uh, told him about it. And John was like, all right, we're booking you for Thunder. Um, I actually did a, a couple of thunders. I did a couple of dark matches and then I did the TV with Jason. Um, and the night after the match with Jason, uh, is when I actually signed. 
when I was done with my match, John was at the end of the uh, the gorilla, and he had a contract in his hand, and uh, he said, "Take this home with you. Look it over. Show your lawyer. Get back with us. You know, and you know, and if you like it, sign it. If not, you know, let us know, and we'll we'll talk." And so I took the contract home, went over it. Uh, Jimmy Hart uh, had a lot to do with that too. So, you know, called him and he looked over, you know, the contract for me and stuff. My lawyer looked it over, you know, we did, had a few little terms that we wanted to throw in there. So we did. It took about another week. Then the second week come about, then I went, you know, to a couple of the shows, I, they were getting ready to put me out there on TV, uh, but I didn't do any shows. I was just there. You know, they just flew me in. And then um, I was supposed to be in Panama City the following week, and then uh, they called me. John Laurinaitis called me up and told me to take the night off, and he would be contacting me. And so I just literally signed a contract with them. It was I only had it for like two and a half weeks. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I got the call after that, uh, Panama city show. And, um, he told me that, did you watch the show? And I was like, yeah, he goes, so you know what's up? And I'm like, yeah. And he says, okay, here's the deal. Uh, we have a, you know, WWE has two companies now. Uh, we're going to lighten the load, but we want to keep you. And I'm like, okay, great. He goes, but here's the deal. <clears throat> uh, we're going to renegotiate your contract. And, you know, I signed a, you know, a, what I considered a pretty nice deal, you know, for me. And uh, they basically signed for what exactly for what I asked. So I couldn't complain about anything. And uh, so he's going to renegotiate the contract. It was going to go, the, the, the money was going to go down dramatically. And they wanted me to move to Cincinnati and uh, go on the uh, developmental there until they were ready to bring me up. So, of course, I had questions and stuff, and I was like, so, you know, you know, I'm in my 30s. Uh, I'm a grown man, and I own my own house. <laughs> you know, I live yeah. where I chose to live, and uh, I don't really want to move to Cincinnati. And if I do this developmental thing, because, you know, I was already a star in ECW, uh, star in other, you know, parts of the country and, you know, other, you know, Japan and other places and stuff like that. Kind of a household name at that point. And so I didn't want to be sitting on the shelf, you know, because they had a lot of guys. I mean, they kept a lot of people. Uh, most all of the cruiserweights they kept from WCW. So, you know, I was going to be in a developmental camp with a bunch of guys and, you know, living in a, an apartment you know, probably with a couple of other wrestlers, and I didn't already pass those days. You know what I'm saying? I didn't already yeah. that. And yep. I just felt like I would be kind of going backwards in my career. So I called uh, uh, Jimmy Hart again, and uh, we talked about it, and Hulk Hogan even kind of got in on the deal. He just happened to be there one day when I was talking to uh, Jimmy, and he just kind of gave me his two cents, and we just decided that it would be best if I turned it down. And uh, I did. I called John and told him that I, you know, I just, you know, thank you, and you know, it's a pleasure, you know, to know that they would want to keep me. But 
you know, at this time, I just feel like it would kind of kill my character off and kill, you know, what I'd already worked hard for, you know. And uh, so, you know, that's just where it went. And then as soon as that was over with, within a couple of months, Jimmy had a the XWF. Um, so we started, well, they started that. And I signed a contract with the Home Shopping Network. So it was, you know, I was getting paid, you know, anyway. So they signed me a really nice deal. Uh, they put their cruiserweight title on me. I think we did eight tapings and a couple of, uh, you know, road shows. You know, we did Texas and Oklahoma, and we even did uh, some angle shots uh, with uh, Puerto Rico, Carlos Colon's group over there. And um, But after the, the Puerto Rico trip was over with, uh, they were going to take the tapes and sell them uh, to somebody and try to get a TV deal. Um, but the Home Shopping Network had put in like, I think they, they put up like $80 million or something like that to back this thing. And uh, something happened with their investment in India <coughs> where one of their factories was going to be shutting down and the government was going to be taken over. So they had to, you know, go get all the stuff that they could carry out, <laughs> you know, which is a lot of stuff. So they, they kind of uh, went back on the, the money back in and uh, just kind of left it. But the cool thing about it was Jimmy, when he worked out the deal for me to get the contract, he got a no-compete clause in it. So I signed for, uh, I think it was three years, and for a certain amount of money, you know, of course. And uh, so even after it shut down, I continued to get paid for the entire three years. Uh, wow, awesome. Yeah, and on top of that, uh, I went to TNA. As yes. soon as, yeah, as soon as the company shut down, I mean, Jimmy gave me the call, and he's like, hey, we're, it's, it's just not going to work, and it's not going to happen right now. Uh, they're still going to pay you, but you're free to go work anywhere you want to. So once, you know, that happened, uh, I think it was um, Jeremy Borash uh, called me. He said that they were doing, I, I hadn't even heard of TNA yet, but uh, they had only been running for like a month or two. And uh, so they were like, you know, we'd like to have you come up and, you know, and be in our light heavyweight division and all this other stuff. So our X division, you know. And so that's where I was. So I signed with those guys. So I was getting paid from them and the home shopping for, for at least three years. That is awesome. Quite a, you know, quite a coup on your part. What did you think about TNA? Did you, you like your time there? Did you enjoy it? Or were you thinking like, okay, you know, I'm getting two paychecks here. So uh, it's well worth it. Well, the two paychecks was a plus. Um, I, I did like it at first. I'm not going to lie. I did. I thought it was a pretty cool little deal and I thought it had an opportunity to do something big. Um, but the way the management was being run and, uh, they were just really disrespecting, you know, uh, a lot of the, the guys that they were bringing in. Uh, and I understand what they were trying to do. They were trying to build their own stable, you know, trying to build their own characters and their own stars. And I understand that. Uh, but they were bringing guys like me in just to basically put guys over, you know, and that's, you know, all they really wanted. And so, you know, I told them, uh, you know, I didn't really want to sign with them, but I'll work with you. So as long as I was working with them without a contract, they were putting me over and putting the X division title on me and all this other stuff. You know, 
after all of that, you know, I figured, okay, so they're going to, you know, treat me right, you know. So, well, you know, I went on ahead and signed. Uh, But as soon as I signed, it was like I was in every main event match, but I was losing every main event match, you you know. And uh, Dutch Mantel and I kind of got into a, you know, a few words there. He kept, he made the comment one night and, you know, he was like, you're such a, you're, you're probably one of the best heels I've ever seen cash. He goes, you're so good that I could have you lose every single night and it wouldn't matter. And I just disagreed. I looked at him. I was like, but uh, I'm not ready for that. And he goes, Oh yeah, yeah. You're ready for that. And I was like, no, you don't get it. I've worked way too hard, you know, to, it wasn't the fact that I wanted to be a, you know, a winner every single night, you know, I was a game player, but I'm not going to go out there and job for you every damn night. You know what I'm saying? To, to get your guys over that you have to use me to get over, you know, I was the yep. AJ Styles real first angle. Um, and nobody knew AJ, you know, especially in Tennessee, you know, they knew him in Georgia, but they didn't know him at all. He, his little deal and, WCW just didn't really amount to much, you know, and it was kind of ridiculous, you know, doing a Top Gun thing, you know, thing, you know, and it didn't really get over at all, you know. So whenever he went to TNA, uh, they just really tried hard to push, push, push through because of Bill Barron's, you know, Bill Barron's, you know, provided a lot of talent for TNA in the early days, you know, and they even made him like a booker, um, you know, in the booking department, the booking committee and stuff like that, you know. And so basically we were just using, you know, a, you know, all of his guys, really. And, uh, of course, those guys were getting paid the absolute minimum, but they were happy just being on TV. And But then you got a guy like me who's got years in the business. I've already know what it's like to get paid. I already know what the contract's supposed to be like. I already know how you're supposed to be treated. Well, guys like me were no fun to them. You know, they they didn't want anybody to complain. They didn't want anybody to say, hey, I want more money, you know, or anything like that. They just want everybody just to shut up and just do what you're told and, you know, be happy that you're even there. And I was getting other offers from other places, you know. So it was kind of just holding me back a little bit, you know. So I told them I wanted out of my contract. And then when I told them, you know, I, I'd never heard of anybody holding you to a contract like that. You know, it was, um, I had to ride the, you know, I only signed for a year the first time, but in that contract, there was a clause there that if they made uh, any kind of merchandise of my likeness on it, uh, then they had the opportunity to roll the contract over in their favor. And I was a really good heel for them back then. You know, I was like really getting a lot of heat. You know, I was outshining Jeff Jarrett as a heel, you know. And um, they made a T-shirt about three or four months before my contract was about to end. And I didn't already let them know that I wasn't going to resign. Well, they made the damn T-shirt. Mm, <laughs> but, of course. Yeah, they rolled me over. And here I didn't show up one show because I thought my contract had been ended. So I just didn't even bother with going. And then next thing you know, I'm getting phone calls uh, like left and right uh, from Bob Ryder and guys like that. Like, where are you at? Where are you at? And I'm like, I don't work there anymore. And they were like, 
yes, you do. You're under contract. And I was like, no, my contract ended Wednesday night at midnight. No, we rolled you over. Well, first of all, nobody told me about this. Second of all, nobody made a new contract because anytime something like that happens, you have to make an actual new contract and you have to re-sign it. And um, so the, that none of that had happened. So they were kind of mad at me about that. And then they were even more mad the fact that I really did want to leave the company. They couldn't understand why I wanted to leave. And I'm like, you guys just don't know how to run a company. You know, you're too worried about, you know, banging the young girls and stuff like that, and, you know, and you and you know, Jeff Jarrett and Dixie Carter having some little affair going on and stuff like that, you know, it was just, it was just one thing after another with that company. It was basically out of their own selfish, you know, they wasn't, to me, they wasn't trying to run the company to to really make it something, you know, they were just having their own whatever kind of fun, <laughs> you know, uh, to me, Jeff was just trying to stay relevant you know, and trying to be on TV and trying to be a champion and stuff like that, you know, but, you know, in my opinion, I mean, I, I, Jeff was never to me a superstar. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that was just my opinion though. I never saw him as a Hulk Hogan. I never saw him as a, as a Shawn Michaels or an undertaker or any of those. He was just Jeff Jarrett to me, you know, I mean, I, I, I looked at him more as a, mid card kind of a guy, you know, from the bigger in the bigger companies. Um, you know, in the USWA his his dad ran the company, so that's why Jeff stayed over the whole entire time that he was there. You know, I mean his dad ran the damn company for God's sakes, you know. And then whenever he opens up TNA, he would not lose the title for nothing. You know, he held on to it and it was it just made him look like an idiot. You know, people were talking about him and talking about our company and, you know, why don't he drop the belt? I mean, he would have great matches with people but and give people runs for the title, but nobody would ever beat him. You know, it was just becoming ridiculous. And uh, he felt in his mind that he needed to be the flagship for that company. But there was so much more better talent in that dressing room than him you know, that could have been the flagship for that company. <laughs> he didn't need to be. Uh, if you're going to be the flagship of the company, then why don't you run the company and make it something? Make it a, you know, a household name. Make it on the level of WWE and, and WCW and all of these other companies. Make it on that level. Quit worrying about being the damn champion, you know? You're, you're making yourself look like a fool. And... So that, that was that was just one of the disagreements I had with them, and that's why I never liked the company. And then the son of a bitch, they did it again. They rolled me back over another year. So, Damn. Yeah, and then that really made me mad. So I just, at that point, I couldn't get out of my contract, and I, you know, me and Jeff had an argument a couple times, and I told him that I just wasn't going to show up and stuff, and he said he would sue me, or, you know, and as long as I'm under contract, I couldn't work for anybody else. And if I did, he would sue me. And I'm like, why would you do that? I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. You know, just let it go. You know, I'll go my way. You go your way. And, you know, maybe one day in the future we can do good business. Let's just end this. And he's like, no, no, you're going to stay. And I'm like, why would you do this? And he just looked at me. He's like, because that's my prerogative. And when he told me that, I just snapped, you know, and I'm like, okay, you're going to fire me. Trust me, you're going to fire me. 
I'm going to make life hard on all of you. <laughs> and I did. You know, I would do interviews and I would tell the the real deals about what was going on backstage and with, with who and who was doing what and who was doing who. And they didn't, you know, a couple of those interviews, well, they they got embarrassed enough to where they did fire me. So I got fired on, uh, I kept telling Jerry, Jared, I wanted out of my contract. So he calls me up on a Saturday morning and, uh, no, it was Friday morning. And then he said, um, you still looking for that release? And I was like, I am really. And he goes, okay. He goes, well, he got it about 10 minutes ago. And I was like, great. I was like, can you uh, fax me or, or ship me the hard copy release? And Jerry liked me. Jerry and me and Jerry always had a great relationship. It was me and Jeff that didn't get along. And uh, Jerry actually loved my work. He loved my character. He loved my wrestling. Um, he loved Ricky Morton, of course, you know, and, you know, loved the fact because we would sit in the back and just talk about the old days, you know, and I would listen to his stories and, you know, just love every minute of it, you know. But uh, so he, he was pretty cool. You know, he sent the copy well, immediately right over within an hour. So uh, as soon as I got that copy, I called Tommy Dreamer and I let him know because he had been asking me, you know, what was what the deal was. And uh, so I told him, and he was in the uh, booking team, I guess, with WWE. And within an hour of calling him, John Laurinaitis calls me, and he says, uh, do you have a release? And I was like, I do. And he goes, can you fax it to me? And I was like, I can. So I faxed it to him, and uh, shit, probably about another hour later, he calls me back and said, I'm sending you an offer. And... Uh, he goes, I'm just going to be honest with you. He goes, you turned down the last offer that we gave you. So, you know, this offer is either going to be a take it or a leave it. And I'm like, okay. Um, I'm, you know, always willing to, you know, do business and negotiate, you know, so let's see, let's do it, you know. So he sent it to me, and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And I looked at it as room for improvement and room to move up, you know. And um, so, you know, with the problems that I had with TNA, the word got out that I had a bad attitude. I was a jerk and, you know, and all this other stuff. I was shooting on guys in the ring, which I was. I mean, I was just unhappy. So anytime I got on TV, whether it was AJ Styles or whether it was Frank Gazarian or Chris Daniels or whoever it was, I mean, I, would get, I just shot on everybody. <laughs> I just didn't want to be there so bad that I was, you know, just making, I didn't give a damn if my matches looked like shit or not. You know, and um, so I just started shooting on everybody, and the word got around. And so they basically just wanted to take me to my limit to see if I was really about business or if I was really the jerk that everybody says I was. So with that deal that they gave me, I had to report into uh, Deep South Wrestling. And um, I was like, okay, here we go again, but uh, I'll do it. And I told him I wasn't going to get rid of my house in Nashville. I'm just going, I'm keeping it, you know, and I'll just go home on the weekends and stuff like that, you know. And I did that for about three months. And within the third month, they put the Cruiserweight title on me. And uh, that was it. Sean uh, and I just passed me in the hallway one day, and he was like, how does it feel to be the champ? I was like, it feels great. I was like, I'd really love to go home. He goes, hmm. oh, nobody told you you can go home? And I was like, no. And he goes, 
well, kid, go home. <laughs> so as soon as I got back to Georgia, I packed everything up in the little apartment and got me a U-Haul, and I moved back home. That's great. Uh, you know, obviously, you um, finally get in with WWE, and it's funny that it's Johnny Ace again, you know, with the WWE, then with the initial WWF, and then still years later with the, oh, excuse me, WWE at that point. Your run there, as far as going past Deep South and, and you're getting on TV, your kind of pay-per-view debut at Armageddon, you beat Hoovy in a great match, you become the champion. That's something where you're like, wow, you know, not only am I did I finally make WWE, they're actually going to do something with me. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, I was on top of the world at that point. I was, you know, because the way I looked at it, the one thing I always wanted to do in wrestling, you know, was to not only, well, one of them was to be known as one of the best, not the most famous wrestler, but one of the best wrestlers, you know, like in the line of like Benoit and uh, Guerrero and, uh, you know, guys like that. You know, I wanted people to to not only like me, but respect what I gave them, you know, every night in the ring. And, um, you know, so that's that's what I looked for. And then on top of that, I wanted to, if I was going to do this for a living, I wanted to be, I wanted to go to the, to the utmost top of my profession. And I think you can agree with me that WWE, even still to this day, is the pinnacle yep. of the wrestling world, you know? So if you make it to the WWE, then you have reached the pinnacle of your career. If you leave WWE, you're, you basically are going to be going backwards. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so I was just really happy. I was uh, content with my career at that point, And I knew that it wasn't going to last forever, you know? So, I just lived every day like it was WrestleMania. Very cool to finally see you there and, and do something with you and kind of, it felt like gave you a little bit of freedom too, like as far as the matches, because it seemed like sometimes they, they cut guys off at the legs, but it seemed like you and Hoovy were able to do some crazy stuff and, you know, be open and free. And they didn't really kind of put the, uh, the shackles on you guys. Yeah, they did. <laughs> oh, they did. <laughs> oh yeah, they did. Forget that you guys just did it anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, if you go back and look at all the moves that I ever did in ECW, and, you know, I used to do the moneymaker pile driver. That was my finishing move for years, you know. Um, the Huracarana. I did the Huracarana, like, on a daily basis in ECW about 50 different ways, you know, uh, moonsaults and stuff. So when I went to WWE, when I first went to TV, um, right now I was leaving catering, and uh, walking back to the dressing room, and I got stopped uh, by one of the referees that was that was up there, and he had a list from the office, and uh, it uh, basically was moves that I was no was not able to do any longer because they already had people there that had used those moves as their signature moves. You know, wow. so like the Huracarana, I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, because not the way I used to, I could do it in variations, but nothing is, that was a high impact because of uh, uh, Ray Mysterio. Uh, he does all the the Huracaranas and stuff like that, and then the the moonsault. I used to do a seated twisting moonsault off the top ropes, and yeah, uh, oh yeah, couldn't do that anymore because uh, Super Crazy. That was his finishing move was the moonsault. 
uh, there was a bunch. I couldn't do the pile driver anymore because there was a you know they outlawed the pile driver up there. Uh, you know, so I had to come up with a different move. And I used to watch Dick Murdoch a long, long time ago, back in the day, and he did the brain buster. And uh, so I just thought I would just use that move, and then I would just kind of you know change it a little bit. You know, he kind of laid down on it. Um, I kind of when I picked him up, I leaped up in the air with it. You know make it look like I was just driving them right into the mat, you know. And uh, so that's how I came up with that move. I had no other choice, really. They, you know, had to give me another new finishing move. Now, looking back kind of at your career, you said WWE is a pinnacle. That's like the the top. And, and obviously, ECW was such a great run for you. WWE kind of thinks that it wasn't what it could have been. And obviously, TNA – kind of one of those things where it's like, man, like uh, it didn't quite work out the way it could have, but you know, you had some definite classic matches and definite good matches. But kind of like looking back at your career, what I know we kind of touched on a little bit, and you touched on a little bit, what, what's kind of like the lasting legacy of Kid Cash? Uh, not only you know, <clears throat> great shape, high flyer, that did you know, obviously mixed in a little bit of MMA and have that kind of background, trained Ricky Morton. What do you think it's like the stamp when someone says, you know, Kid Cash, what are they going to think of when they think back at your career? Uh, hopefully they'll think of my pure wrestling ability. Um, I gave, I didn't, I wasn't just a high flyer, you know, if you ever watched my matches. Oh yeah. Yep. You did it all hybrid. Yep. Yeah. My matches went through a series of, of, you know, I started off old school, uh, chain wrestling. Then we would go to a little bit of mat wrestling. Then we would pull out an arm drag or a hip toss. You know, and then I would do a Ricky Steamboat style arm drag, you know. Um, and, and I just combined that kind of wrestling with the high flying. Uh, I didn't, it wasn't like most of the other high flyers where as soon as the bell rang, you see these guys hitting the ropes and just flying. That's all they do. Kind of like, you know, the, the, the more earlier days of the Ring of Honor, you know, how that was. You know, everybody just no-sold everything and they they just jumped. <laughs> from wherever they were, you know, I wasn't like that. I, I tried to show the world, the wrestling, you know, fans that I was universal. You know, I could, I could not only have a good match with Juventud Guerrero. Uh, I could not only have a good match with Chris Benoit, but I could also have a good match with somebody like Dusty Rhodes or Ric Flair or one of the old school guys. So if you watch the TNA stuff, I did have an angle with Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, I, did, I remember that. Yep. I'd have a small angle with Harley Race, Terry Taylor, uh, you know, the older guys, and we tore the houses down, and we didn't do anything bigger than a drop kick. <laughs> you know, I mean, and we still tore the houses down, and that's, you know, something I'm very proud of, you know, that I was that, that versatile, that I could give the crowd something different than what they were watching every time they turned on the TV. You know, that, and... I'm one of the a very few handful of guys that have ever been signed and contracted and held titles for all the big major companies. I was in the WCW. Didn't win a title, but I wasn't there long enough. And in my contract, I already, you know, it was written out that I was going to be, you know, winning the, the light heavyweight title at a certain point in my, my contract. Uh, but I was a TV champion in ECW. I was the X division champion, you know, two times NWA world tag team champions. 
uh, mm-hmm. yep. Cruiserweight champion. So I'm one of the very few guys in the business uh, that has ever wrestled for all four of those companies and been and was contracted. You know, that's some to me that was something. You know, I, I, I'm proud of that. You know, I feel like you know certain people are only good in one company. You ever watch guys who started off in say WWE back in the day or WCW, but then when they moved on to another company, they just didn't shine like they did in the other company. Hundred percent. Yep. You know, I was able to shine in all four. Yeah. So to me, to me, you know, that is a legacy, you know, in itself. Besides my daughter, <laughs> you know. Yep. Of course. Uh, you know, I love. My daughter was a big part of my wrestling and stuff, and you know, I was she was my biggest fan, and you know, just knowing that. I was able to to accomplish those types of you know humps in the road you know that a lot of guys in the business could never do you know it gave her you know the the idea that she could do anything that she wanted to do if she set her mind to it and never ever give up never take no for an answer never give up you know and I had a solid 25-year wrestling career that was in com- big major companies and on TV. And um, even though I did retire, you know, I did come, have been coming back doing some shows just here and there, playing around. So, I mean, I got a total of 30 years now. 30 years in this business. And I'm proud of that, you know, but I was able to to move on and still be successful in another field you know, outside of wrestling. Absolutely. And it was quite a great legacy that you left behind behind, and quite an awesome career. So many different matches people can go back and watch and say were great. But as far yeah. as um, plugs and things like that and social media, where can the fans kind of reach out to you? Are you, are you really on social media? Do you have any plugs? Do you have anything coming up? Obviously, you know, you got your shoot job, your real job, but do you, you know, you still connect with the fans and do different things. Yeah, I do. Uh, I'm on the. I do. The, I'm on the Facebook. I'm not like a huge internet guy. Um, I'm on Facebook. I have uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter. Um, I don't. The Twitter uh, is base is pretty much run by one of my old agents uh, from the UK. I used to wrestle in the UK for years, and I uh, had an agent over there, Dan White. So he he kind of controls the. Uh, the, the Twitter, but he talks to me on a daily basis. So when people, you know, leave messages and stuff, you know, I know about it and I answer them and he just types it in for me and stuff. Uh, Instagram and Facebook is so elementary, you know, I don't even really, I just check my messages and, you know, I talk to the fans through there and stuff like that, you know. All right. Well, Kid Cash, it's been awesome catching up with you and, and kind of running through your awesome career. And I really appreciate uh, all the time you gave us tonight and awesome yeah. detailed stories. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you having me on, man. Thanks for listening to the two man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.